Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 111 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to give you some tips on how to have a successful marathon training cycle. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 111 and hello co-host ryan hello Letty. how's it going same old same old <laughs> you always say it's great so that's a good thing i guess could be worse could be worse so we're Letty and ryan and we have a weekly marathon running podcast a weekly episode where we bring you experts nutritionists you name it inspirational stories to keep you motivated to go running every day basically so today you're trying to help people stick to their marathons well just to have a pleasant marathon training cycle right because because some people that have never done a marathon training cycle it's just very intimidating it's very you know, it's a chunk of 16 to 20 weeks of training, and that can be either a really good experience or a one and done awful experience. So these are just some tips on how to make the whole process more uh, enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people, I think, you know, make it a goal to run a marathon, but maybe haven't done it before. So that's another reason why it's like you said, kind of a daunting task to see to the end, especially given the time commitment and everything else. Yes, because it's a marathon, 26.2 miles, not really a distance that most people can just kind of wing. I mean, you can, and it might hurt accordingly, but most people want to have a positive experience during the race, so what's better than practicing beforehand? So what was your first experience doing a marathon training program? Running a marathon? Let's do that. What's your first experience running a marathon? Did you follow a program? I did not. At all? Nope. How were you, much were you running before you did your marathon? Um, so I had moved to California in the month of February. Not this year. Long time ago. 2009. And I was doing three milers maybe three times a week around the Rose Bowl. And the marathon was scheduled for May. So then I think it was in March that I became aware of the group called LA Roadrunners and that they were training for that marathon. And I think it was, you know, six, four to six weeks from me becoming aware of it. And I went and checked them out and I realized that, and like popular beliefs, you don't have to be real thin and super fit to run a marathon. So I saw the people that were training for it and I figured, okay, I can do that too. I tried to join the group and they said it was too late in the program. So I didn't really join the group. So I came out and actually did a run walk group for a 16 mile distance, which I had never done before. 
And then I came back the next weekend, decided I was going to do a running only group. And I think it was around maybe 16 miles again. Did you make it? Yeah, I made it fine. And so then the marathon day came and I stuck with the 405 group or some kind of group. No, sub 410, something like that. And it was fine. I was really sore the next three days, though. And I think that was definitely because of lack of training. But it was a pace that I was very, very comfortable with. I wasn't pushing any paces. So contrast that to the first time you actually finished a full marathon training program prior to running a marathon. Night and day. Tell me the experience. 2018. So that was nine years later that I actually finished a training program. Um, Which one? It was with Ron Tab, our local coach. He had written it for me and it was basically running five to six times a week and very regimented, very well thought through and a lot faster. I mean, it was just completely different experience. So you ran it a lot faster. How was your experience of the race, you know, when you did the race? How'd you feel? I felt the same happiness because... I was faster, but I was also prepared. So when I was running the race, I felt comfortable. I didn't push it super hard, but I was, you know, just cruising at a different speed. And you were happy when you finished because it was obviously faster. I actually cried. And you know, I'm not a crier, at least not well, in public. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's, so that's cool. So that's a good, good, um, story of your experience for people that haven't done it or maybe people that have done it. They can relate to that. Um, and so what motivated you to actually finish a training program? Because before you would look at training programs, but you would kind of loosely follow them, but you wouldn't actually follow them the whole way. You kind of give up on them. So did it take like a personal coach to hold you responsible? It wasn't that. It was a different type of motivation. I was getting older it was getting harder to qualify for Boston or not getting harder. I guess they kept on lowering the requirement times. I used to say, I'm going to age into Boston and I'm going to do Boston 2020. Guess what? By the time I was, you know, almost 10 years older, I didn't age into it because it kept lowering the time because a lot of people are trying to get into Boston. So my motivation was I just had my second child. I was done having kids and I wanted to get back in shape and I wanted to kind of show the world, or I guess just myself, <laughs> that even though you're getting older, you can still get better. So that's interesting. So it just kind of gives people maybe a perspective on, on like, you know, the differences between following it and kind of loosely following it, not following it, at least from your standpoint. You know, I think everyone's a little bit different. Like some people that are um, list makers and followers will probably follow their first marathon training plan to the T and others who are not that way will may never follow a marathon training plan but you know all that matters I guess is that you're having fun and enjoying it and yeah that's exactly what I was gonna say too that you know I've been running marathons for nine years before I started training to get faster and it didn't matter because I was always just happy running. I have no problem. Like for us next year, we're going to, well, we're going to Honolulu this year. And I have no problem just running a race here and there for fun and another here and there to try to get faster. I just, you know, I enjoy that equally. I just love the sport and the community and, and everything it brings to my life. 
So you don't need a marathon training program to finish a marathon, but you will probably hurt less afterwards and you will probably run faster if you do one. Yeah, and you probably don't get injured, you know. I mean, we also get older, so we want to make sure that the distance is, um, we, we stay safe. Yeah, less likely to get injured. I guess you could get injured either way too, but right. less likely. You could get injured right now. Just sitting here, although it's probably low chance. Unless I throw the microphone at you. It's good. That's a high chance. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so for uh, for this list of tips for successful or rules for successful things to do to have a good training cycle, I spoke with head coach David Levine from the LA Roadrunners and got his opinion on these little pointers that we have. So are you ready to hop into that now? Let's do it. All right, so without any further ado, here is my conversation with David Levine. All right, so I'm back on with David Levine, head coach of the LA Roadrunners. David, thank you so much for joining me again. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm waving, but no one at home can see that because it's just <laughs> audio. But so there you go. Yes, I will never move to video just because I can't imagine, you know, doing that editing on top of the podcast. So it's always going to be audio. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> So today we wanted to, well, actually, let me have you, uh, you know, introduce yourself to our runners, the few listeners that are new, so they know who we're talking to and who this person of authority is. Oh, um, God, I don't normally introduce myself, but I'll do that. Um, I'm David Levine. I'm a level two uh, USA track and field coach, a level two USA triathlon coach, co-author of a book from about almost a decade ago now, um, one of the complete idiot guides books, in this case, to marathon training. And, you know, they have those dummy guides and the complete idiots. Well, I wrote the complete idiots and uh, guide to marathon training. We co-wrote. And um, I'm head coach of the LA Marathon's training program, the LA Roadrunners. Yes. So I want to talk to you about a few tips that we want to give our listeners on how to do a successful ma marathon training cycle. Mm -hmm. So we've come up with a bunch of them and maybe I can list them to you and you can give us your opinion and your expertise on that. Okay. Starting with eating, how important is eating for a successful marathon training cycle? Um, eating is absolutely critical. You know, there was somebody the other day that said that they started running for the first time. They'd done like uh, two weeks of running regularly, three days a week. And they found that they didn't want to eat some of the old food that they, did, they, they used to crave and they used to eat regularly. So one, um, our bodies tell us what we need. And we do tend to start eating healthier. And two, We should listen to our bodies because they're telling us the truth. We do need healthier food to go farther and to do more and to rebuild muscle tissue. You need healthy protein. You need healthy fat because we're going long and slow, so we're using more fat. You need healthy carbs because, you know, you, you, you cannot go as fast. I find if you're on an all-fat, no-carb diet, You'll be hungry all the time, for one thing. Um, but, you know, the no-carb diets 
Um, for distance runners, if you want to go fast, you're, you're, as your heart rate goes up, you're going to use more carbs. So you need healthy forms of carbs that aren't going to burn you out. Um, like even fruit that has fiber that helps you absorb it more slowly without spiking your insulin levels. So you crash and burn because you've just eaten a cookie or a piece of cake or whatever. Um, fruit has that fiber. It's the same sugar, but it has that fiber that helps you absorb it more slowly. So yeah, healthy food is everything. Perfectly said. So tip number one, eating healthy. The next tip that I have for us is rest days. How important are rest days and what are your what is your opinion on them? Rest days are critical. Uh, you know, you, you want to push yourself to over what what uh, Joe Friel, a triathlon coach, used to call overloading. And but I think at times and I think he even said at times you want to overtrain. Overtraining means that you are just exhausting yourself. So you need that rest day to rebuild muscle tissue, to get back in the game. You know, you're not going to do a speed workout um, when you're exhausted and be able to reach those speeds for as long as your workout may require if you're exhausted. So you need to take a day off, rebuild hormone levels just a little bit that you've just depleted from overloading, doing more, exhausting yourself, um, or at least tiring yourself a little, and rebuild muscle tissue. Those are the two key factors in, in recovery. Uh, two of the, the biggest are rebuild hormone levels, so you have energy, rebuild muscle tissue, and of course hormones help you rebuild muscle tissue, so it all kind of works hand in hand. And yeah, taking a day off uh, or, uh, or doing much, much less for a recovery day is, is absolutely. And then recovery weeks, those are critical as well. Okay, perfect. So that's great advice. And then along those lines, since we've kind of already touched on it, can we talk about tip number three, sleep? Um, eight to nine hours of sleep is is the beneficial amount for athletes, um, for endurance athletes, eight to nine hours of sleep. I remember hearing a lecture from some coach who I, I don't remember, but um, uh, he used to claim that he, he would not allow his athletes. The rule was you had six hours of sleep or more, or you could not train. And I thought, what a great idea, a great rule. Six hours of sleep or more, or you cannot train. And, um, you know, we, we people we in the United States, we work ourselves long, long hours at work. It's not like we're at partying every night. We, we like Letty, you too. You're an attorney and, you know, um, we work long hours. So sometimes even getting six hours is difficult before a weekend long run or something. But um, I thought that was such a great rule. But there you go. Sleep. Perfect. No, that kind of, again, rolls me into the next one, which is rule number four, balancing your work life a running relationship you know the relationship between those three things can you maybe talk about how to perfectly do that <laughs> there are many factors especially now i'm finding um you know a family um you know income work uh exercise diet sleep all of these things need to be balanced somehow 
And um, I think they're all important, you know, being able to, you know, spend time with the dog and the kids and the, you know, all of that is so important to, to somehow find a balance in life. I, I, th I think one answer to this and something that I create, but I fail at regularly is creating a schedule. Benjamin Franklin used to spend an hour every day figuring out what he was going to do and when every day. And he would write it down, what he was going to do, when every day, and schedule it all out. And I think that's such a brilliant idea, except I fail at it miserably. <laughs> Schedules are great. And I agree. It probably helps to write stuff down to an extent that it doesn't, you know, take up an hour of your time because it's another hour <laughs> that you don't have. So once we have um, figured out, you know, at least what, how much time we are able to commit to when it comes to our runs, etc., then the next tip that we have is tip number five, finding the best training plan for you and your goals. So given that a lot of people either don't have the budget or don't want a personal running coach, how do they find the perfect training plan? Um, well, the, the, I have often said that the one-size-fits-all schedule does not fit all, and for those it fits, it does not fit for long. So even if you get the perfect schedule, if you somehow create your perfect schedule, something will come along like you get sick, you know, or maybe you've been pushing or you ran a little too fast for too long or something and you're exhausted and you need to take a day off. You need, first of all, the schedule that you find or create or your coach creates for you, the best coach in the world. Um, it needs to be flexible. It needs to be changeable. It can't just be, here it is, set in stone, go do it. You know, that's, that's not what coaches do. They, they talk to you maybe once a week, but they see how you feel. They, they see how you're doing. And then maybe they'll change something. So how do you create a schedule for yourself that's doable and survivable and, and is going to be best for you. And there are a couple, a couple rules that you can use, kind of tenants to create a schedule that I would use and anyone can use. They're very simple. Um, first, where are you at now? <laughs> you know, um, if, if you want to build to 60 miles, And one week, because you want to really excel and you think that 60 miles would not be too much for you, um, first, have you ever gone a 60-mile week? Has, has, if the longest you've ever run is 30 miles, you may not really want to build to a 60-mile week schedule or 80-mile-a-week schedule, you know? You, you may not want to risk that. You may not be strong enough, you know, in the end even on a build. So where, where are you now? Where, uh, and where are you in training right now? If, if you're only doing 10 miles a week, you don't immediately want to dive into 30, 40 mile weeks because that's called injury. Um, so where are you now? Where do you want to build to? And what is reasonable for you to build to? What have you done in the past? You know, grant you, the more volume you do of everything, pretty much the faster you're going to get because the more efficient you are. You know, it's really more about time spent doing different levels of intensity, low heart rate, easy runs, slower than marathon race pace. 
Yeah. So, I mean, so basically, I mean, I guess it's just a matter of informing yourself about what you want out of this, where you are with your fitness and then trying to find something, hopefully, yeah. You and know, even mathematically what you're capable of. Perfectly set. All right. So on to the next one. Number six, rule number six, do not skip your long run. Why is that one long run a week important? And obviously when we're talking long run, depending on what uh, type of training plan you're on, I'm just meaning anything really over an hour. Why are those runs so important? Well, they could be for several reasons um, and, and then not. So there's the good and the bad. There, there. You know, most people tend like my Roadrunner training program. These are all people who have children or jobs, or they don't have the whole week to just go out and run in the morning or run in the evening. Not really. In fact, they don't quite have the the ability to do pretty much more than an hour midweek. You know, beyond an hour. You know, it's really pushing it. Um, they do get up maybe a couple runs during the peak training season or like an hour and a half midweek, Monday through Friday. So they really need, in order to get volume, they really need to do this thing where, yes, it's diminishing returns when you get up there. And, yes, they do a 20-mile run on the weekend. Is that the most effective way to train? Absolutely not, and I'm very honest and open about it. The training schedules that I create for the Roadrunners, the training program for the LA Marathon, are not the most effective training program because pro athletes have all the time in the world. Those are more effective training programs. So we do actually do a 20-miler because we tend to load more work into the weekend. On the other hand, um, yes, you can... build a psychological understanding that you can go farther. And especially for beginners, this can be a really important thing um, that you, I can do 20 miles. I am now more confident that I can do a marathon and go six miles farther. Okay. So my next tip or our next rule is practice race pace and push yourself when your schedule says to do so. Obviously, that's assuming there are no injuries and no fatigue. Why is it important to really go for it when you have those paces assigned? Well, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's the key. You want to set yourself up so one workout does not destroy the next. Meaning, you know, you want to go long and slow and keep that slow really slow. Um, And then the next maybe, you know, whenever two days a week or one day a week, if you're really doing volume, maybe even three days a week, you get a little high intensity in. But generally speaking, it's long and slow, short and fast. Really fast if you want to really engage fast twitch muscle fibers and not just raise the bar where your anaerobic threshold is, which is a long explanation I I won't go into here. But that's where you really need short, short, like 200 meters, 400 meters on a track or on a straightaway where you know similar distances and there you're really going for it. Not 100% that's sprinting, that's where you're using a different energy resource called uh, creatine phosphate. You have seven, everyone has seven seconds of creatine phosphate. So if you're sprinting, 
seven seconds, that's the energy of your, your alactic system. That system isn't going to get you much on a marathon. All right. So then from there, let's move on to the next one. Number eight, learn about pacing. And that's just, I mean, learning so you can be ready for it because obviously pacing during the marathon is super important. Um, and, and there are different theories about pacing. You know, one is go out fast and finish slow, which I think is kind of insanity because um, you use too much glycogen too quickly and you deplete glycogen and you hit the wall. That's what hitting the wall is. You don't want to, you don't want to go out too fast, too high a heart rate. Um, the other would be a steady, even paced run throughout the entire marathon and if you throw hills in there or heat it depends on where the hills or heat are um, so that may or may not work depending on the course unfortunately there's no such thing as perfect ground or the perfect marathon even though there are a couple that are close to being perfect like you know Berlin um, Boston is definitely not perfect. New York is definitely, Chicago is pretty good, flat, you know, but you have to calculate where are the hills if you're going to try and do an evenly paced, you know, run. Um, I think the best paced run is really starting slow and finish fast, what a lot of pro athletes refer to and do as a negative split. Um, that's kind of what I suggest we all the skinniest Kenyans um, the thinnest people like Letty you have more than enough fat to to get to the end of a marathon all of us um, but we don't have enough carbohydrate in the form of glycogen so that's why I always profess that negative split start slow finish fast focus on not just steady pace but focus on heart rate. I used to pace lead, and the best pace leaders focus on feel, either that term run by feel. And if you can't run by feel, focus on heart rate. The best pace leaders I knew I, I, in my past didn't even wear a watch. And man, they would nail it. Every time they'd come to the finish line right on target, zero seconds off, they were scary people, and they didn't even wear a, a time watch. Yeah. And that's, you know, super important. And I'm really glad that you pointed that out because there's no better time than probably starting to do that now during our training, you know, put a piece of tape on your watch, because obviously if it's not on Strava, we didn't do it, but you can still put a tape on your watch and just kind of learn to see what it feels like to run. And um, I'm probably going to do that this weekend. But um, yeah, I, I've coached people to when they're really frustrated, you know, they're just not quite making their paces for as long as they want. And I'll tell them, slow it down. It's okay. And if you can't, if you're frustrated because you're looking at your watch and you're not quite there where you want to be, um, just get rid of your watch. Leave it at home. Yes, amen to that. We're going to try it out this weekend. And another thing talking about building good habits is tip number nine, uh, importance of cross-training and strength training. How much do you tell your athletes to focus on doing any kind of exercise at home to strengthen their legs? Um, I, I knew one physical therapist, that a guy from Evolution Fitness, um, that was Robert Forrester Physical Therapy, but um, they, they suggest three days a week for strength training. 
Now, I don't do that on my schedules because I don't see, know that people have the ability to, to do that, you know, three days a week of strength training. Do I recommend it? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I've always said triathlon, and a lot of people do, is, is about four disciplines. It's about swim, bike, run, and strength train. You know, it, it's all four. Um, you know, you'll see pro national level competitors in triathlon, national competitors, they'll swim in the morning, run in the afternoon, take two hours off in between each, they'll run in the evening, and then they'll strength train, they'll be in the gym at night. Sprinters will do uh, their track workout, and then every day right after their track workout, they're in the gym. You want to be an Olympic level or a national level um, sprinter, you do, you know, you're sprinting, and then right after it, you're in the gym, you know? That's every day of the week or six days of the week, you know, whatever. Um, you know, for us endurance athletes, three days a week would be great if we had the ability to do that. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. I, I appreciate it because it's something that, you know, as marathon runners, a lot of us don't have a problem running for many hours, but then when it comes yeah. to even just five minutes of doing gym related work, we kind of tend to not do it. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but anyhow, so the next oh, tip, I, I think you're speaking for a lot, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> anyhow, so the next tip that I would like to have you talk about is Number 10, train your gut. So you know how they always say you got to prepare for the marathon. You can't just suddenly switch goose or all of a sudden start taking goose when you haven't before. And you got to think about eating in general to fuel your running. What can you tell us about that? Well, let, let's start with the most difficult category. I find, and this is just me, my empirical vision of runners or run walkers or walkers, um, About 5% can't really even eat breakfast or anything at all on the run. And by mile, like somewhere 12 to 16, they're, they're really burning out. They're, they're starving their bodies, you know. And either they have severe diarrhea or severe stomach, you know, problems, um, abdominal distress, what it, stomach pain in your stomach, you know. Um, And there, there's this category is really a problem because you need to eat something. You can't just go out there starving. Then there's the category that cannot do the major gels, you know, right? You have about 200, the average size human being has about 200, 2,000 calories that you can absorb Beyond that, you can't really absorb too much more. You can only absorb so much, even from carbo-loading. Yes, you can absorb more in the form of carbohydrate, which is, an, which is beneficial, but okay. You can only absorb so much. You need to take in more. Now, modern, more, normal gels will give you about 100 calories, right? The average size person that absorbs 2,000 calories can only absorb about 100 calories. Excuse me. You will use about 100 calories per mile. So do the math. By mile 20, if you take in nothing in the form of liquids with powder and carbohydrate in them, that's calories. 
or gels that have 100 calories, you mostly carbohydrate, rarely any fat, which is fine. Um, you're going to consume by mile 20, you're going to be starving, pretty much the average sized person, you know. So you need to take in something. Now, a lot of people cannot do goo or power gel or whatever. And I recommend some kind of like fruit thing like baby food. Baby food is basically like mulched fruit, right? You baby food, if you go to the store and try and get they come in little gel packets now, you know, with the little plastic knobs on top. You can get applesauce in a little gel packet, you know, and if you can get something that has more calories, like 80 to 90 calories, it's rare to find baby food with more than like 80 to 90 calories. A lot of baby food will only, in those little packets, only have 30 to 40 calories because they're putting in more vegetables. Vegetables are wonderful foods for eating, but not necessarily during a race because they have lower calories, right? Um, highly recommend vegetables for many reasons. They're usually uh, alkaline foods. Most foods are acid foods. A great way to, to a average out your alkalinity and your, your acid base when you're eating normal meals. But um, you want to get a gel with as many calories, which means more carbohydrate for baby food. So that's a, so those people that have gel problems uh, with stomach distress or whatever, that's a solution for a lot of a lot of people. They can't do goo, they can't do power gel, those with multidextrin, the main ingredient. Yeah, because it really comes down to that your digestion is not the same when your blood's flowing to the extremities of your body, your legs and all your muscles and digestion, I guess, slows down too while you're running. Yeah. And like I said before, we all have enough fat to get us the thinnest Kenyan um, to get us through a marathon. And you don't need fat. You don't need to start doing burgers and fries on a marathon. That will kill you. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Let's hope not. And let's hope that uh, people will learn to practice during their training with whatever products they want to take. So that way, you're not running the Berlin Marathon and you're taking Morton for the first time during your run, because even though it might be a product that you normally agree with, um, it's probably not a good idea to try that out while you're running a marathon. <laughs> All right. So, so a couple more. Our rule number 11 or tip number 11 is to spend time training your brain. And that goes anywhere from mindset to visualization. What do you have to mm -hmm. say about that, David? A lot of things. Um, to start with, the beginning, before you even start a marathon, have a ritual. It could be anything. Um, I'm reminded of a basketball player that his ritual before he did a free throw would be to dribble the ball, hold it, dribble the ball, hold it, dribble the ball, hold it. And someone asked him, why do you do that before every free throw? But someone asked him, why do you do this? And he said, every dribble reminds me of my children. You know, um, and that motivated him during that was a ritual that he did that motivated him. 
Um, we all do rituals that benefit us, hopefully. Um, wearing a pendant, a religious symbol, um, can motivate you to, to in some way. Having some kind of ritual that maybe you, you just touch that pendant before the marathon begins. But anything you can do to get your energy going, get you emotional, get you a ritual that you can use to get you started. Stress is actually a good thing to a point. If you're panic-stricken, it's a bad thing. It's using too much energy. If you're a little nervous, wonderful. People say, oh, God, I'm really a little nervous. Perfect. That's where you want to be. You're, you're raising your energy levels a little bit, and that's a wonderful thing. Science studies indicate that that's a little nervous energy. Great thing. Um, that's before the race. During the race, um, you know, um, emotionally you want to, well, well, the beginning of the race, you want to feel comfortable. Emotionally, you want to just, okay, this is easy. I don't have to feel like everyone who's running past me, I need to keep up with them. I don't need to be competitive with them now. If you're a pro athlete, you can stay. You'll note a lot of pro athletes will sit in the back of the pack. It's the pack, the front pack, but they'll sit in the back of the pack. They'll draft off of all of them. Um, it's okay for people to be in front of you. It's okay. I used to start groups that I pace led in the LA Marathon um, way in the back. So, And we had this thing where we would create a line of two people and we would go right down the middle of all of these people. And I would be at the front, the single person at the front of this row of column of twos. And we would say, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. And we would slowly pass everyone. But we started with slower people, right? And it worked great because it didn't make us feel like we needed to keep up with the pack and go out too fast and go up that first hill too fast and raise our heart rate too fast. And psychologically, that worked really, really well. Um, now, on your own, you probably want to start more with the back of your ability level, your corral. But it's okay, like the pro athlete, to be in the back of the pack, to be at the back of your pack, right? because you can draft off of them. There is some minimal benefit to that. Sad, but feel comfortable at the beginning of the race. By the middle of the race, you can feel like, okay, you know, what can I do to push it? And maybe psychologically pick, especially if you're burning out, pick an object, you know, that you can go to and go to that object. You know, I'll break up my race into quarters. And it's really easy to do when it, it's a, a race that's, you know, the markers are in meters because it's 10, 10 meters, 20 meters, 30 meters, 40 meters, and then you go to 42 meters and your race is done. So I'll break it up in quarters. So first 10K, 6.2, second 10K, halfway in the marathon, 13.1, then on and on. Um, and I'll just get to that point. And by the end, pick an object, pick a tree, pick a, 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 a cone in the side of the road and just get to that and then get to the next one and then get to the next one and then just keep doing that. And if you have to walk for a few feet, do that. That's a great tip. Thank you for that.
So my last tip or rule or whatever we want to call them at this point is to really just enjoy the process because obviously kind of along with the whole mindset, you're going to do better when you're not miserable during it. So can you address that perhaps? 90% of your cerebral process, all your thought, your brain thoughts, 90% of them are unconscious. You're unaware of, completely unaware of. Think about this. All the people listening, I'm answer this question. Do you know what your spleen is doing right now? Can you feel it? Can you understand? Okay, are you focused on what your spleen is doing? Do you even know what your spleen is <laughs> or what it does? Um, your liver, your kidneys, your pancreas, your all these vital organs, you have no idea. The only reason you know what they are and know what they do is because you studied them in a science class, anatomy, and you learned what they are and what they do and where they are. You, unless you're feeling pain, pain, you still don't know what's going wrong. You just know something is wrong. The simple process of enjoyment is your brain, all of these things you're unaware of, saying, this is working, right? If you're on a run and you're like, God, this is great, your body is telling you, yep, do that, right? You're all, 90% is in alignment. They're all calling up to your unconscious brain that you cannot be aware of all these things. Try and run once and be aware of everything you're doing. Your fingers are relaxed, your elbows are at 90 degrees, or you're rocking with your, your forearms close to your body, not out. Your, your head is in alignment, your back is straight. All these things, your dorsiflexing your foot, your knee is coming up to a certain height. You cannot possibly do that. Your brain cannot function on that level. But you're able to do that because 90% of your cerebral processes are totally unaware of it to you and they are functioning. When you're asleep unconscious, they are still functioning because you're alive. They are, they are working all of those vital organs, your heart, your liver, your lungs, your spleen, your kidneys, your, and on and on and on. And you're completely unaware, you're unconscious, you're asleep, right? So when you're happy, and you're like, this is the greatest. I had a great run today. That's working. Your body is telling you the truth at all times. Your body cannot lie to you. Perfectly said. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us about, you know, your expertise. We really appreciate it. Abs absolutely anything. I, I, I think running is an amazing thing or run walking or walking. They're all amazing things. Thank you, David, for speaking with me and giving me all your knowledge. I absolutely enjoyed your insight. So anything else from you, Ryan? Any last minute tips on how to make this whole marathon training cycle better, especially since you're probably going to end up running a marathon next year? Hopefully people can use his tips to help finish their training program. But even if they don't, it's just good to have fun. And you had fun whether or not you did did a training program or didn't do a training program. So that's right. And so I guess what we, the big lesson behind all this is do whatever it takes to make it enjoyable for you and, you know, be graceful with yourself when it comes to time and other uh, things that you put on you that you should do just to have a good time. And with that, 
have a happy week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.